Welcome to the Nopalera podcast, a place where I share the journey of building my company from the ground up, as well as the stories of others in our community. I am your host, Sandra Velasquez, founder of Nopalera, a culture-forward brand that celebrates and elevates culture. Aside from making great products, we are cultural storytellers with a mission to inspire our community to stand in their worth. In this podcast, you will hear a mix of solo and guest episodes around the entrepreneurial realities of building a company. I launched Nopalera from my Brooklyn apartment with no outside funding while working three jobs, raising my child in the middle of the pandemic at the age of 44. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I hope it inspires you to live boldly. As we continue to celebrate Women's History Month, I want to remind you about the special code for podcast listeners only, Her Story 20. That's H E R S T O R Y 20 for the entire month of March. Enter that code at checkout for 20% off anything from our site. It cannot be combined with other discounts. Today's episode with Beatriz Acevedo is timely given recent events with Silicon Valley Bank last week. It's so important for us to understand how money works. Beatriz is one of the leading inspirational voices and Latin entrepreneurs in the United States. After career in media, she went on to become the co-founder and president of MeToo, the leading digital media brand for young Latinos in the United States. Under her leadership, she went on to raise $50 million in funding led by some of the most successful VC groups in California. Her latest startup, Suma Wealth, is the leading financial technology company devoted to increasing prosperity, opportunity, and financial inclusion for young U.S.-born Latinos. Since the taping of this podcast episode, Suma announced its acquisition of Real, another Latina fintech company, making the partnership the first Latina fintech C-suite, and that's C with an S-I. It is my pleasure to introduce Beatriz Acevedo. Beatriz, welcome to the Nopalera podcast. It is so great to see you. How are you? Uh, it's great to see you too. And I'm so excited to be here. Uh, congrats on everything that you've been doing. Like the entire community is just like rooting behind you, obviously me included. We're so proud of everything that you're doing and the way you've been representing us. Well, I so appreciate that and really right back at you. And that's why I'm so excited that you're here today taking your time to share your journey with us. And I want to start actually at the moment before you started Suma. Like, can you just tell me what was happening in your life when you had the idea for this company that you started? So I have to say the idea was not mine. Uh, so credit where credit is due. The idea was from my good friend and Suma's co-founder, Javier Gutierrez, who is a financier and who had been thinking about this for, I think, a decade already. Um, just thinking, how do we really make sure that uh, Latinos have, you know, that economic power that we absolutely deserve and have earned? And it was in the middle of the pandemic. So I think the timing was just perfect, you know, unfortunately perfect. We had seen how Latinos were the hardest hit with deaths during the pandemic, but also with economic hardship. And in his mind, he thought that, you know, fintech companies and financial institutions tend to be very product first. You know, there's no one financial institution or fintech that truly can claim that they own the Latino community, that they are absolutely super serving us. And his hypothesis was that it's because they're all financiers. So somebody who was not a financier like me, who's a marketing girl, could do a better job building the community, building the brand, really doing a lot of social listening to understand and really learn from the community before anything was built. So at first I thought his idea was ridiculous. I'm not a financial person. And I thought I said, absolutely not. I'm not the right person. 
And then, you know, how the universe just gives you so many signs of where you need to be. And that's what happened to me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. And here I am two years later. So excited, so privileged to be leading this company that has such an incredible mission to help our community close the wealth gap that stands at 20 cents to the dollar. So yeah, this will be my last professional hurrah, I think, because I didn't think in my 50s I had another startup in me, but this one has me fully re-energized. I love that. What you said, I think is so important that you said, I'm not a finance person. I'm not the person for this. And that's exactly why you were the person for this, right? Because you know how to talk to people like people, right? you know? And so I'd love to learn on that point, like what was the money conversation for you like growing up in your family? Yeah, I mean, I think I wasn't any different than most Latino families. You know, my parents were college educated, so I can't even blame, you know, that, okay, they didn't know better. They didn't go to college with a lot of effort they went to college right my dad had I don't know four side hustles to put himself through law school but even after that even though he became a pretty prominent philanthropist and writer and attorney money was never discussed ever uh when my dad why do you think that is I don't know I mean I, I know that even when I started to do well in my career in my media career secretly he would tell my mom I mean, my mom would tell me, so it wasn't that much of a secret. (laughs) And I adored my dad. So that definitely was one moment of pain for me when he would be like, you know, who does she think she is? Like a total Nueva Rica or think because I wanted to pay for my wedding or wanted to help upgrade the beaten down rug in the house or things like that, that just made him feel very uncomfortable that Mm. I was going to be taking charge of some sort of financial moment. So that was interesting, right? I think they're old school They think that's private. I saw my parents lose a lot of what they've worked for in one massive devaluation when I was eight years old. Everything they had in, you know, we lived in the border. I'm a border girl. I'm from Tijuana. So you were able to have bank accounts in U.S. dollars back in the day because everything you have to pay is in U.S. dollars, even though you make pesos. And so I remember that there were no more dollars in the country after this devaluation. So all their savings in U.S. dollars were gone and now fully devaluated to like 6,000% less. So I kind of heard about the economic hardship, but it wasn't sort of like discussed of like, oh, what could we have done better or pass the learnings to us as kids, to my brother. And I have a younger brother, three years younger, and I wouldn't say him or I ever were great with our finances. And that carried for me, into my professional career. I lived in Mexico City when I was a producer, host, writer for this big TV show. And I remember the day that I was fired, I had nothing to fall back on. I've told this story so many times. I was like in this supermarket trying to buy this little carton of milk and my American Express card would not go through. It's like, no, you're done. And I was like, oh my God. And I could have absolutely saved. I could absolutely invested. And I just didn't do it. You know, I live like so many people from my community, from my country who are like, let's live it up for the day. You never know what's going to happen tomorrow. So let's just have a good time today. And that was a hard lesson to learn. And I remember you shared that story, I think on LinkedIn. And that's where I was like, oh, my God, we have the same story. Because I had that same moment where I was like, I'm 43, I'm unemployed, and I have no savings. How did I get here? Like, how did I allow this to happen? And of course, we blame ourselves, right? Like you're saying, well, you know, I lived it up in the moment. But were you really like overspending? Or were you just not making enough? I'm just curious. Because for me, it was a realization that I was simply not earning enough money. 
Well, for me, it was, I think I was making a lot of money for what people made in Mexico in their 20s. And I think I also had horrible advice from my accountant who, I'm not going to, I'm not going to blame him or her, (laughs) but they would tell me that I needed to spend the money in order to not pay taxes. Right. So they're like, no, no, you're going to pay taxes. So just spend it. But the advice was never, why don't you invest it? Why don't you Mm. save it in a way? And I was back then a Mexican national. So the tax exemptions that you have in the US or the way you can contribute to a 401k or things like this were not available to me. So in their defense, maybe there weren't a lot of mechanisms for me to put in money away for retirement or an emergency savings that could be tax free. But regardless, you know, telling me to just, you know, every time I went to New York, you know, buy more (laughs) at the gap, I don't think was the best sound financial (laughs) advice. And I would remember going into like, because I wasn't buying at Gucci, you know, to your point, I was like, okay, the gap seems perfect for my age range and for my budget. And I would go into this store in Times Square that was massive. And I'd be like, I have this, I have this. Like, I was like, I don't know what else to buy to write off, you know, whatever money I was making. So definitely dumb, dumb advice. But also, you know, I wasn't a child. I was in my early 20s. So I also didn't research a lot. I just sort of thought, all right, I'll just spend what I make. So my tax contribution isn't that high, which I could have donated it, right? Like charity, that would have been an option. But yeah, you just don't know what you don't know. And to that point, because that's really been my experience, like, wow, I just look back and I'm like, I just did not know. I just did not know. And not only that, but the people I was around did not know either. And so it just like you live in this bubble that just perpetuates the reality and keeps you stuck. And so do you feel that that experience is also what fuels you to be in the position that you are? Because now you know, right? Like now you know. And like once you know, as you know, you can't not know anymore. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. And I also wanted to make sure that it was like to your point, that anything that we would put out content wise, or even the way we're building our product and our tools was super fun, super in culture, super accessible. I didn't want anybody, you know, I have friends who went to Ivy League schools. I didn't go to an Ivy League school, but I have friends who went to like, you know, Harvard Business School and they're in so much debt. They're in so much financial hardship and they're like elected officials from the, I mean, they're, if you look at their Instagram, by all means, they're thriving, right? Like everything mm-hmm. on the outside seems I'm so successful. And yet secretly they're like, I need so much help. I don't know how to do this. And in confidence with other Latinas, other Latinas say, well, what do you mean? Like you went to Harvard Business School, like you should know. And they're like, they don't teach you this stuff in college, right? Like I didn't learn from my parents. I didn't learn it at college, even though I have an MBA from a prestigious Ivy League school. We still don't know. And whatever is out there, you know, and that you research is so hard to understand. It's so hard to navigate. The whole lingo is so intimidating. You're like, oh, my God. So that's why we're like, listen, we're going to explain with two different types of tortillas, a hard and a a soft credit inquiry. Right. We're going to explain with an avocado how ripe is your credit. We're going to explain with a gordita and with an arepa that FICO and Vantage look the same as credit scores, but they're not the same. So we're like, we're going to lean so hard into our culture. We're going to lean so hard into pop culture as well um, to make sure that this information is accessible to all, whether you went to an Ivy League school or whether you never went to college. I love that because I honestly, Beatriz, did not really understand the stock market until like two years ago. And I'm in my 40s. And I just think, wow, if my parents had known 
And they had put, let's just say, $25 a week. Right. Because as you know, investing, the greatest asset is time. It is time, right? It's not about people think like, I don't have enough money to invest. And I used to be that way. Like, I need all of my paycheck. I can't give any of it to my 401k or to savings. I don't have any left over, right? But it's about time. Yeah. And it's not about the amount because it compounds over time. And I just think, wow, if my parents had put away $25 a week for the entire 46 years that I've been on earth, I would already be a millionaire. Uh -huh. and, uh, how, we even right? say that with the quinceañeras, right? Like I never had a quinceañera. I was one of those Me kids neither. who rebelled against it. I was like, there is no way I'm putting on that dress and like yeah. walking around some, you know, <laughs> it was just not me, right? Yeah. But obviously people love them. And, but we're like, listen, like if you put away from the quinceañera money, like $15 every week, it's a very different conversation once you get to retirement. Like there could be so many millionaires in our community with very little. And I talk to a lot of Latinas that I truly adore and they say the same as we said, you right? Like I don't have any money to invest. Like I'm not, you know, so rica, I'm not rich. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you don't need to be rica, but you know, somehow the data is out there. We are the biggest spenders. So mm -hmm. the money somewhere that we're spending more than anybody else. So consider changing a little bit of the mentality from going from just consumer. I'm not saying to not be a consumer, mm -hmm. but just consumer to shareholder, right? Like mm -hmm. think about Christmas time. Think about the holidays. Yes. Think about birthdays. And I start now with my little sobrinitos, sobrinitas, because that's the age to your point to start. And yes. I'm like, if they love, I don't know, let's say a brand like Disney, right? Well, maybe instead of four gifts that you give them for the holidays, you give them two and the rest are in stocks of the companies they already like. And you start yes. teaching them early on. Yes. What does it mean to have stock? What does it mean to be a shareholder, right? Every time you mm -hmm. visit those stores or you visit those theme parks, you could be like, you're an owner, right? So every right. extra overpriced churro that we buy, at least it's going back to the company to you. you own a share of, right? So, but nobody taught us that when we were kids. So it's like, wow, but we have to get this information out to our community in an easy way, right? In a way that says like, listen, we are like you, we grew up like you. And if we can do it, you can do it. So that's why I think even in my 50s, I'm so re-energized with all the possibilities uh, with this company and also with the way that our community has reacted to it. Yes. And also our partners, right? Our partners, um, when we launched, it was all the big financial institutions. And they're like, oh, we already have financial literacy. We already have this. We already." And I was like, okay, it's a, like it's a little boring, but okay. Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> but now, you know, two years later, they're just like, oh yeah, no, no. Like we don't know how to do finance, uh, you know, as a culture, I guess that's how they, why they come to us. But we're like, not like this, you know, it just, it, yes. anything you read, it just makes you more confused. And I understand there's so much compliance or so many regulations that you have to abide to. So understandable that, you know, it needs to be a little dry, but you know, my abuelita would say where there's a will, there's a way. So we find our arepas and our gorditas mm -hmm. to bring them into the financial conversation. I love that. And do you think that the mentality is just culturally passed down like because I also feel like there is this sentiment in our community that like the stock market is not for us mm -hmm. you know what I mean it's just not for us and I guess two-part question like do you feel that that has been intentional and then number mm -hmm. two like are we also perpetuating that like does it take you know what you're doing to kind of like break that cycle I guess to explain to people that we are actually already participating in the market like to your point you're going to Disneyland you're giving them your money 
be an be owner. An owner. You know, yeah. be an owner, be an right? Owner. Like you are buying Nike shoes, be an owner, right? Exactly. You shop on Amazon, be an um, owner, right? You use Google, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Exactly, exactly. Um, I never thought about it as an intentional, but it's definitely a very good question. I think we have a lot of fear and we have a lot of post-traumatic syndrome, whether we lived it or we heard the stories from our parents and our abuelitos and abuelitas of how they lost it all in their countries of origin. But, yeah. you know, obviously it's fundamented when you think, oh, wow, I'm going to hold on to the cash like yes. there's no tomorrow, yes. right? Like I was telling you, my dad, who was definitely a well-educated man, mm -hmm. when he passed away, we found so much cash. And he was an attorney and he always said, dress like an attorney, he would tell my brother, who's from a different generation, who's, you know, much cooler with his jeans yeah. and his jacket. Jeans, yeah. uh, but my dad didn't even own a pair of jeans. So when he passed away, we found in every single inside pocket of his suits, cash, right? Like thousands of dollars. And we're like, oh my God. Like, But you know, the fear is true. What if one day you lose it all again? What if one day you don't have the money? So that wasn't even under the colchon, under the mattress. I was <laughs> inside the suits. Um, so I do think there's that, right? Like the trauma that the we trauma. have from generations ago is still very much present in our community. So that's one. Like, I want to have the cash. I don't want to invest it. I don't want to put it in a bank. I want to touch it. I want to feel it. But you lose money, right? Because, yes. you know, it's never going to grow. It's going to depreciate. depreciate. So that is definitely not a good strategy. I also think that the education needs to play in here. You know, yes. I, I know, for example, a lot of our families think, well, if I put in the bank, I can lose it all. Just like mm -hmm. I did it in mm -hmm. Mexico, Venezuela, Argentina, yeah. it doesn't matter. And here we have to explain, I explained this to my own mother. I'm like, mom, it's insured up to this percentage. And you're not putting all that money. You're not putting more than what's insured in the bank. So don't worry about it. And if you ever had more, you open another bank account, right? Every bank account is insured. But I don't think that explanation they know about, right? Or they don't... Or they don't trust it. They don't trust it. And they want somebody like you that they can trust. It's super interesting. In my previous startup at Me Too, the two top comments we would get from our audience was where have you been all my life, right? Or finally a brand that gets me. Because young US Latinos who speak English, wanted to consume content in English, they just didn't have an option. At Suma, the top questions we get are, who do you trust, Suma? And who can we trust, right? So mm -hmm. obviously it's a lot of power, but a lot of responsibility when we mm -hmm. recommend a partner. But that distrust is real, right? So that's yes. one. The other one on the stock market, perception is reality, Sandra, as you know. So yes. we yeah. think, oh, the stock market, the wolf of Wall Street, right? You think it's a, this is for crazy people who have a yes. lot of money, who have so much mm -hmm. privilege. And when we explained fractional shares to our audience and to our consumers, mm, my fave. we're like, you can start with $5, right? Buy two lipsticks and the third one invested in that company that you're a consumer in, right? So yes. it's super interesting. And I'd love to see that mind shift, particularly with Latinas, mm -hmm. when I've seen what's happened with brands like Little Libros, for example, right? Yes. Where Patty was like, listen, I tried and tried to raise capital. It wasn't for me, the traditional route. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted it to be community owned. And she yeah. over exceeded her goal of where she wanted to be. Yes. And now her company is community owned. And there's a lot of Beautiful. power there, right? So I think the yes. more that we talk about it, the more our community feels comfortable with. And the other thing is you should not be investing what you don't feel comfortable potentially losing. I mean, obviously Correct. there's so much data that no, no, but in the long run, it'll be a 10% return and it'll be sure. But you still can't just, 
you know, there's a strategy behind investing, saving, having cash for an emergency. You need to have a little bit of of everything, but we cannot build wealth without investing. That's just not going to happen. Okay. That is the quote that you cannot build wealth without investing. And you know, your story about your father with the cash and all the pockets, I think you probably already know this. You are not alone. Oh no! So many Latinos, like the same exact story. They found cash everywhere in the shoes, in the closet, in the wall. I mean, in the freezer, my grandmother in the freezer, freezer. in the freezer. Right. (laughs) And I mean, I understand, right? Like I we have a similar story. Like my parents are also college educated. My mother is also a lawyer. And yet, To her, the stock market is like gambling. And get this, she feels more comfortable going to a casino and gambling. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Because she feels like somehow she's in control. Like she's putting the money in the machine. Right. She is actively choosing to play this game. Whereas like the stock market feels like this wild gamble. And I'm like, the irony, right? Yeah. You know, our parents' generation and people of our generation think that the stock market is gambling. And yet... They hide cash in the freezer. (laughs) Yeah. But I have, you know what? I have, I say this all the time. If I could place any bet, it would be on Latinas, right? And I do see Latinas changing this narrative. It's going to be them getting our community closer to building that wealth for our communities. 75% of our customers, of our consumers are Latinas. Mm. And they're the ones who are the most interested in learning how to invest. So I do see that shift in the younger generations, yes. particularly not so much maybe in, in the boomers and beyond, yeah. uh, but at least Gen Xers to Gen Z. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. They're like, listen, I don't understand it, which is valid. Mm-hmm. None of us did. And I want to trust somebody. Yeah. Absolutely. If I could do it in culture and I can and fun. do it with somebody who's like me and fun. Amazing. Yes. But there's a lot of options, right? I'm not saying you yeah. have to do it with Suma by any means. But we're mm-hmm. definitely the one that, you know, leans harder into the comedic moments of our culture yes. and and just makes you feel like, you know, brands that make you feel like you belong. I remember totally. the first time I saw Nopalera at Nordstrom. There's this sense of pride where yes. you're like, and I didn't know you, right? Like, I yeah, first, right. I, didn't, I didn't know anything about the brand. This is years ago. Yeah. I think when you guys just launched. Launched. Yeah. And of course I bought it, right? And I was like, I was going to have it here to show you my scrub, but I I didn't bring it. I'm sorry. I wanted to like show you that I'm a loyal consumer. But there's so much pride in knowing that you belong, that that you belong, that something's built by somebody like you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sends so many messages, right? Like Mm -hmm. I can dream bigger. I can become that. I am that. I am that. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's so much power there. So I think in both of our companies and so many other Latina brands, out there from fintech to consumer goods, we are all sending that message to the younger generation. So I think that's so exciting and so powerful. Yes. And Suma is such a fun app. I mean, I just love that you've made it fun because it used to be so not fun. Like, (laughs) and now we live in this beautiful age of technology where we have apps and you can buy fractional shares and I can show my daughter and it's just fun. Right. And it's like, remember in the days when people used to have to call on the phone and say, give me, you know, put a hundred dollars on STX, you know, yeah, (laughs) exactly. And it's totally changed. Right. And now I love how fun Suma has made it. And I'd love to ask you about you have fundraised. Right. Suma has fundraised. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah. So this is my second uh, company as a 
that's venture back. Mm-hmm. So the first one, I was like the wild, wild west. I literally say it was like La India Maria crossing the border with like with my braids <laughs> and in my burro. I had no idea what venture capital was. I I have so many stories of when my investors would ask me, is this a serious A? And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't think anything comes before A. So I'm going to say yes, which was completely the wrong answer. You know, my previous company raised up to a series D, sold the company. So I definitely have my way. scars. <laughs> I don't have congratulations, but I definitely learned a lot in that process. Yeah. Okay. So this time around, I wanted it all to be very different. I've been very intentional on who is in our cap table, which means who are your mm-hmm. investors, right? Yeah. I've learned from my previous company that not all money is the same, although it is a privilege for you to be able to raise capital. Is it what less than 1% of Latinas who are able to raise capital in this country? And if you're a Latina like me, who is older, immigrant, has an accent, etc., I think the percentage goes to like 0.02%. So we should be grateful for the opportunity and the capital and people believing in us. But I have learned that you also need to do your due diligence, just like investors do due diligence on you. Mm-hmm. And I know this sounds very white male privileged. And I learned from some founders who called to do due diligence on one of my investors. And I thought, oh my gosh, you can do that? Like, how dare do you do diligence on somebody? So that process is very different now. My cap table is 100% diverse by design. My previous company had zero diversity on it Mm. from gender, race, Mm -hmm. sexual preference, nothing. Here I have it all. And it's been designed like that. And we've raised a couple pre-seed rounds. It was like Mm -hmm. pre-seed one and two. I don't know. Yeah. And now I'm in the middle of racing my seed round, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's a horrible climate to raise capital. It's a mm-hmm. ballsy time to say no. We've passed on a couple mm. offers that really felt not mission aligned. And I think mm. that's very, very, very critical. After you take the money, yes. then you're partnering with these people. Yes. Right. You know, it's like a marriage, I always say, but harder because I mean, without the love, I mean, hopefully you're in love with whoever you married or whoever your partner is, but I don't think you're in love with your investor. I don't know. Maybe somebody mm-hmm. is. I'm definitely not. So <laughs> you have to be super careful on particularly that, that you have that same vision and mission and mm-hmm. particularly values. And for a company like ours, that it's a double bottom line company, we don't want to sacrifice impact because of the returns, but we clearly mm-hmm. want to give very high returns to our investors. So there's always that thin line of who you're aligning yourselves with. So yeah, this round, um, we're hoping to close in the next month or so. We're we're doing Ooh. well, but it's been, it's been hard to say no to capital, you know, particularly yeah. in this climate. But I just remind myself of what I've been through in the past and hopefully have learned from it, even if it's going to be slower in closing than maybe just taking one check and being done and knowing Mm -hmm. that's not going to be ideal for you and for your vision. Yes. And can I just ask you a follow-up question about saying no? Because I think this is such an important lesson because a lot of founders ask me about how did I raise money? How do you do it? Where do you start? You know, I also knew nobody, knew nothing. I literally learned it as I went. You know, it was like someone would say something, I'd go Google it. Yeah, same, same, (laughs) same. Thank you, Google. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Google. Thank thank God we live in the age of Google. Yes. But that feeling, because I know what it's like to also have to say no where it's when it's not aligned, but you really need the money. That is a scary, very courageous place to be in where you're like, I need this and yet I'm going to say no. Just what does that take emotionally? And like, where do you go to in your mind when you're like, okay, they're going to write me a check, but I'm going to say no. It takes a lot. I mean, it it really takes a lot because it's not just you, you know, for us, we have a responsibility to our 
people who believed in us and who work with us as our colleagues in these companies. And they have mortgages. They have kids that they're putting through college or their college students themselves. We have a ton of Gen Z's in our company. So it's not a decision that you make lightly. It's not like, okay, well, I'm going to continue to not pay myself. And that's that, you know, it doesn't affect you only. So it's something that you weigh very carefully. I mean, listen, the decisions that we've made to say no, I definitely went to the board. I definitely went Mm -hmm. to my co-founders and I was like, what do you think? I don't want to make it on my own. My gut said, say no. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, their response was say no, right? Even though we hear that it's a horrible time to raise capital, there's still a lot of money out there, right? And there's still still people that can fully believe in you, align with you, cheer you on, support you in so many ways aside of the capital. And I think that's what's very important, right? Yes. Like intellectual capital, emotional capital that they can Mm. be giving you aside of liquid capital. Yes. It's very, very important, especially, I don't know, especially for somebody like me. I never had that with my previous startup. It was very Mm. transactional. It was, are you doubling the growth? Are you doubling the revenue? Are you doubling this? Here, my investors ask me how I'm doing, right? And I'm Mm. like, I'm so shocked about that. When they ask, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, the company's doing amazing. And we just signed this deal. They're like, no, 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 I didn't ask you about the company. I asked you about you. you? And it makes me feel so strange because I've never had that experience. And when I say, oh, I'm exhausted, but listen, but excited because we're doing this. And then they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Go back to exhausted. That is not okay. Like, let's Mm. work on. And I think wow, this is incredible. Mm. So aside of them at some point having written me a check, that emotional support is so critical at this stage of what we're building, right? So I'm not saying that people should say no to capital that doesn't feel right, but I'm just saying to be very mindful, you know, be very, very conscious of what you're getting into. And, And you might say, I understand, and I'm willing to take this risk because keeping my employees employed and Mm -hmm. keeping to build this company is a bigger purpose for me. So I'm going to do it. And that's amazing. Mm -hmm. I felt a little bit more like I had blinders on my eyes and I was just like trick or treating, collecting checks from people. I didn't really care. You know, it was Mm -hmm. money was money. But once you've been through it, you kind of have a different lens. But obviously it's a very personal decision. Yes. It's a privilege to say no. So fully aware of that, particularly in our community where Latinas are the ones who get the least amount of capital to grow their companies. Yes. And I also just want to highlight something that you said, which is so important that's worth repeating, is that there's always more. Like you said no to this person, but this is not the only person with money in the world. There are more people and there's always more. And that's a mindset thing as well. You know, that is a mindset shift that you've grown into because of your own journey and your own trajectory of growth based off of your experiences, you know that there's more. Yeah. And so that also gives you comfort to say no, because you're like, okay, next. Yeah. You know, absolutely. There's so many more people with money and there's always money in the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for us, I learned this time around that there's something called impact funds. Obviously, again, impact funds are not for everybody. You need to be building something that has that sort of impact in the world and society. Social. Uh, exactly. That's social. But when I learned that that was a possibility, venture impact funds, I'm like, oh, that's what I'm going to prioritize because mm-hmm. they measure returns at the same level as impact, right? What impact are you making in your community? So I was like, oh, I want to be all in with these funds that 
I have no relationships with. I don't know. I'm going to cold call and email, mm-hmm. but we're excited. I mean, we're well on our way mm-hmm. to closing our round with a lot of impact funds with incredible people whose mission is also to make the world a better place. So that that yes. money yes. just feels really right for the type of company that we're building. And on that note, what is, I mean, Suma is already a really robust platform, but what is coming up next? Like, is there something that we have not seen yet that is happening with Suma? Yeah. So on our roadmap for this year, we're very excited. We've been asked a lot about investing as we've been talking about. So we are going to be fully integrating an investment option where you'll be able to invest or co-invest with family and friends. So that's going to be great. As far as like us looking into building generational wealth with our families. I love that. Something that we're super proud of and we just announced this very recently was an acquisition of another fintech company from a fellow Latina. Amazing. Who is an absolute superstar. Her name's Daniela Corrente. She'd been building this incredible company called Real. And she had built a lot of the features that we wanted to build at Suma as well. So we thought, mm-hmm. why not team up build a more robust offering and be able to super serve our community in that way. So one of the features that's going to be out in a few months is something that she had built called Chip In. And it's really exciting because you'll be able to see the goals that your family has financially, and you'll be able to sort of contribute towards them, right? Mm. And that way really have like a dashboard where we can see how we're building that generational wealth with our family. So instead of our family members just WhatsApping us, asking us for money, which (laughs) I have a ton of those family members, then it's like, listen, let's build your emergency savings fund. Those contributions that you're asking, we're going to put them in our account. We're going to track them over time. You're going to have that compound interest that we've been talking about which is really free money. Yes. And let's see, you know, and what else do you need? So we'll able to roll that out very, very quickly. And we're super excited about that. So Um, And just to have a visionary Latina on our exec team, you know, as a partner, that is the most priceless thing that I could ever ask for. I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's not a fintech company in this country that the entire exec team are, you know, three Latinas. So with one of my co-founders, Mary Hernandez, now with Daniela mm-hmm. Corrente and I, that just feels so incredibly good. So good. And and you will not be the last. Let this multiply. Absolutely. Let this multiply. I love that you've joined forces. That is beautiful. And that just means that there's more of us rising to the top that are going to just make the mountain bigger for everyone. Yeah. And collective power is really what we need to think as a community Mm -hmm. of a mindset, right? Scarcity mentality, there's not enough. Mm -hmm. I had to do it on my own. Nobody mentored me. Nobody helped me. That's not serving. Or there's not enough. No, there's there's enough. enough. And the power is in us collectively supporting each other. So I'm I'm super, super proud of everything you've done. Know that, you know, there's so many of us Latinas just cheering you on, feeling so proud. Um, And, you know, we're all just trying to do the same and just, you know, leave those doors open for that next generation um, in our community. That's right. We're bringing everybody with us. I love it. And I'd just love to wrap up with just kind of like fire around questions. Okay. So number one, what is the best piece of advice someone has ever given you? Best piece of advice, I guess, you know, to lean hard into my differences, to never feel small or less because I'm a woman or an immigrant or a Latina, but always feel more. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
And what does, this is a personal one, but what does a perfect day look like for you? Oh, perfect day. Cuddle with my teenagers in bed, which are close to going to college. So savoring that moment. A good long meditation, Mm. a good peloton bike ride. Yeah, I mean, that's what good looks like for for me. I I guess the things that I have very little of. Oh, yes. And what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, I definitely want to be remembered as somebody who did everything in her power to open as many doors as I possibly could for that next generation of Latino leaders. Well, you are absolutely doing that. Thank you so much for your time, Beatrice. This has been an honor, and I know people are going to learn so much. And all of your information to find Suma is going to be in the show notes. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Bonus alert, in honor of Women's History Month, we are offering our podcast subscribers, that means you, a code for 20% off anything on our website. Use the code HERSTORY20, that's H-E-R-S-T-O-R-Y-2-0, at checkout for the entire month of March. This cannot be combined with any other discount. Thank you for being here with us. Remember to leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening from. Spread the word so we can impact and grow the community. If you are an entrepreneur looking for more real talk and resources, you can join my entrepreneurial newsletter from my personal website, sandralilavelasquez.com, but also visit nopalera.co to pick up your favorite self-care items for yourself and your loved ones. Join the Nopalera mailing list to be the first to hear about new products, exclusive promos. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at nopalera.co. Stay resilient.